All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, one thing I want to start off with, just kind of a question. Is, has God ever called you to do something that when the first time you heard it, you thought, that's crazy? Like, that just is ridiculous? Because right now, I feel like that's kind of a season we went through. And, and, and here's why this is important, because we're talking about the series being bought in. And I think there's a process that God brings us through when he's starting to adapt us to an idea or a concept that he wants to, us to, to jump into. And we're not ready for it right away. And so he starts, he says, let me begin by suggesting this to you. And the first thing, I know sometimes when I have those moments where God starts to say, hey, you should do this. I'm like, God, I'm not so sure about this. Like, I think this is a little bit crazy. Like, it takes me, and I process things really quickly, and I work fast, and I like to make decisions but sometimes God brings those big, huge ideas, and we're like, whoa, wait a minute, God. You and I, we have to have a discussion about this, because I'm not at all comfortable with this, and, and, and yet it seems like this is starting to happen, and, and God, can we talk this through a little bit further? And that was just the, the kind of the, the mindset I was going through. A couple weeks ago, we had a chance to share that God's bringing us to this journey right now where we have one child, 19, one 18, and one 13, and then right in the midst of that, we're, we're getting towards the latter part of, of them being students and teenagers and all of that, and then all of a sudden, this, this opportunity is presented where, where someone asked us to consider adopting their baby. And the first thing I thought of was, God, are, are you sure about this? And, and, and going back, I shared a little bit of the story. And I don't have time to share the whole story. But to give a little bit of, of kind of what was going on was we had always considered adoption, again, was something that we were kind of considering in the future, something we might be able to do. But I never really talked about having a baby. And, and one day, my mom calls. My mom says, hey, there's somebody here at our church, and she's giving birth, and she can't take care of the baby. Have you ever considered adoption? And I said, well, yeah, we consider adoption before, but, but it's, it's a baby. That's a, different, that's a whole different thing altogether. I'm not sure about that. But here's what we do sometimes, especially if we're trying to follow Christ and we don't want to be mean and we want to sound all spiritual. Here's what we do. We say, well, let me pray about that. And in the back of our mind, we know what that means. We're thinking, there's no way in the world I'm ever going to consider this. I don't want to say this to the other person. And I want to sound spiritual and not just saying that I'm trying to quench what God's doing. So let me sound spiritual and let me say this. I'm going to say, yeah, Mom, we're going to pray about it. That's what I did. I'm like, Mom, we'll pray about it. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks. And so I went back. I talked to my wife about it. And we kind of, well, what would that look like? We started asking questions, but it's still like in the back of our mind. We're saying there's no way in the world that this would be a good idea for us right now. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. Things are just kind of busy. Uh, and, and then a couple of weeks later, my mom calls back again. It's right beginning of November. And she calls back and she's like, hey, so I talked to the birth mom. I said, you did what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, I talked to the birth mom. mentioned you guys to her. I said, Mom, like, we, we're just, we're still praying about it. Like, what, what are you doing here? Like, what, what do you mean by that? And, and, she, and she's like, I know, I told her you, you guys weren't sure or whatever, but I just kind of met your name to her and said you guys adopted before. And I'm like, awesome. And then she said this, I invite her to Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> this is about to get awkward, Thanksgiving dinner. Like, could it get any more awkward than that? But, but here's this journey God was bringing us through. Because at first, in the back of my mind, I'm like, listen, I'm not so sure about this. This doesn't seem like a good idea. And we start to have these discussions individually, have discussions with God. We start to kind of warm up to the idea. But that day, she actually didn't come to Thanksgiving dinner. She came a little bit after Thanksgiving dinner, but in a part of that Thanksgiving celebration time. She came and we met and we started to hear her story and hear about how God's putting her life kind of back together and how she knows she can't take on anything else right now. And we went from saying there's no way in the world this is a really bad idea to, to saying, okay, this is kind of something we could start to get excited about. And there's a process that we're going through. And I think it was important for us as a family to go through this process. And it's important for me as kind of the, the dad and, and the leader in the family to go through this process of saying, God, we're having these conversations and you're opening me up to this, but I have a whole lot of questions. I have a whole lot of questions because if you'd have said this a year ago, if we sat here at the beginning of February 2013, 
and said, hey, I know that you have a whole lot going on. The church is starting to get ready for the transition, and you're going to become the lead pastor, and a whole lot of responsibilities are going to change, and, and things were just kind of going crazy. If you'd have told me at the beginning of 2013, hey, all this stuff going on, what would you think about adding a baby into the mix? I'd have said, you're crazy. Like, we don't have time for that. There's a whole lot, there's a whole process that goes into the adoption, and we thought it'd be a little bit quicker than this, but it's going through an organization, and we have to be background checked, and we have to go through orientation, which we went through, and we had to have six hours of online classes and take tests, and then you have to go uh, get fingerprinted for the background check, and then you have to get physicals, and all these things that have to happen in a short amount of time. And then at the end, a baby's coming. Like, this isn't busy, a baby's about to come, then it's about to get real busy, and things are about to change, and we haven't been through that before, and I don't know what that looks like. And so if you'd have told me early on, hey, we're going to add this into the mix, I'd have said, dude, that's, that's crazy. God, me and you, we have to have a talk. I don't know how I'd have, have space in my life financially. I don't have space in my life just in terms of the time element that a baby requires. But here's something we've talked about in the past. When God gives you the passion for something, you find a way to create space for it. When God gives you the passion for something, you find a way to create the space for it. And as we went through that season, meeting the birth mom and saying, we're going we're gonna to literally pray about it now up through Christmas and let you know by Christmas, there was this process we were going through where we were adapting to the idea. And at some point it went from being, this is something that's crazy, I don't know how we could do this, to being something we're okay with this, we're considering it to the, to the point where we said, okay, now we really feel like we should do this. And at some point in that journey, we got to the, to the level where we said, now this is something we're so passionate about it. We couldn't not do it. When we become passionate about something, we find a way to create space for it. This whole series about being bought in is, is the idea that when we have passion for something, in particular, this series is about the church. When we have a passion for God's church, here's to try to make a difference in our area and literally across the world. When we have a passion for something, we start to create space for it. And that's why it was so important as we began this series that we started this series off by talking about what is the plan and purpose for the church? Why does the church exist? Because if we don't understand the plan and purpose for the church, it's not something we can really get behind. But once I understand, here's the plan of purpose for the church, and once I get bought into the idea that, yeah, I can wrap my head around that, I like that idea, I'm warming up to the idea, then I start to say, okay, if, I'm, if, if I believe in the plan of purpose of the church, then how do I connect? What is expected of me? And so the series is about laying down, here's the plan of purpose, and now what are the steps we have to take? What does it mean, what does it look like for us to get bought into this? And so we talked about playing a purpose, we talked about why the church exists, we talked about how even Jesus' promise is, is the, the, state, the church is built on the confession that Peter had, and he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and that was such a huge moment. And the church has this mission going forward. And so what does it look like when I become a part of that? The first week we finished up that, that message by talking about, okay, if we're going to get plugged into a church, the first and most fundamental thing is we have to be here on a regular basis. I can't really say I'm behind something. I'm 100% supportive and only show up once or twice a year. That doesn't work. I'm, I'm not really bought in. Once I'm bought into being a part of the environment on Sunday morning and get, gathering together with other believers and encouraging each other and worshiping together, once I get that, the second level then is saying, okay, the next step would be to get plugged into family group. And I know people have, have tried it in the past and are a little bit sketchy, a little bit worried about this, and yet you hear time and time again people get connected and they start to love and have form those bonds with those family groups. And, and I... Talked about my personal experience last week, I think, I think it was, and just how important that was in, in our life as we made changes and having that group of people to challenge us and equip us. And so to, bu to buy into our groups that meet throughout the, the county, doing Bible studies together and encouraging each other, just doing life together. 
Then last week we let out this idea of serving together. And once we bought into the church that God's gifted us in a unique and a strategic way to further his kingdom and, and that there's a way that we could serve. And today, the final week, we're going to talk about this idea. And if you picked up anything about what the band did to start off the service this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to support the church financially. And sometimes, as soon as we start talking about finances and church, people get all kind of worried about this. And, and, and here's the deal. I want to do two things today to kind of alleviate some of those concerns. Uh, number one, Jesus does talk about this quite a bit in, in Scripture. Jesus talks about giving because he knows that, that our giving is closely tied to where our heart is at. And so he talks about that we can't serve both God and money. Those two things are not compatible. They realize that our finances are closely tied to where our heart is. Uh, but, but, but part of that, part of that idea of talking about money is that we want, want to talk about it theologically kind of a little bit today, but also just the practical side of it. Because I think that if we buy into the mission and vision for the church, that at some point we say we can't not do this. I'm 100% behind this. I'm supportive. And so we're going to ask some key questions today. In fact, three key questions. We're going to look at a couple of different passages in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to start off there today and eventually get over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, But before we do that, if you don't have Bibles, it's fine. The words will be up on the screen. Before we do that, I want to lay down a little bit of context of why this letter is being written. Uh, 1 Corinthians is is a letter written to a church in Corinth. And the way the New Testament is laid out, you have the first four books of the New Testament. It's called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's the story of Jesus. After the story of Jesus, we have the book of Acts, which ends with Jesus ascending into heaven. It begins kind of the early church, what's happening in the early church. And part of the story of the early church is people that are giving their life to Christ. And one of the people in the book of Acts that gets saved, God completely radically changes his life, is a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul becomes one of the most aggressive missionaries and church planners this world's ever seen. And he's going from city to city, literally all over the region, planting churches, helping build that church up, and then going to the next town and planting another church. And he's doing this in strategic locations. And after he would leave, often he would write back. He would hear a story, a report from that church. And he would write back and say, I hear this is going on. But there are some things that I need to address. And, and the first one, after the book of Romans, the first one we see where he starts to address some of those specific needs is this, this church at Corinth. First Corinthians was written to a church that didn't have a lot of religious background. Uh, a lot of the people that are going to church there, they, they hadn't had a religious background. And so because of that, when they give their life to Jesus, they're, they're excited, they're passionate, but they don't have all of life figured out yet. There's excitement, there's passion, there's zeal. But they don't know the details of, okay, how is this supposed to work out? Like, I never, I wasn't, I wasn't trained in this stuff. I didn't grow up going to church. Uh, they didn't, church is a new thing. But today we'd call that area an unchurched area. And so Paul goes and he plants a church and, and, and they're starting to say, okay, we're starting to get this. We're starting to kind of get behind this. But I have a whole lot of questions. And so because of that, they're not doing a lot of things right. And so Paul writes back and he addresses some of the specific things that they need to take care of within the church. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, we see for the first time here Paul addressing this this offering that's being taken up. Now they're taking up an offering on a a routine basis, on a weekly basis, uh, for their own needs, for the stuff they're doing as a church. But also uniquely in this season, uh, Paul had had a specific passion for the churches happening over in Jerusalem, which for them is like a thousand miles away from where they're living. For them, that was a completely different world. And if you can imagine these people who didn't grow up with religious tradition and who didn't know, like, like, why is it we're doing this? They're asking the question. The first question we're asking today is, okay, why would we take up an offering? Like, what, what is it doing? When, I know we pass the buckets on a weekly basis, but what am I giving towards? If I want to get behind this, I want to know what I'm giving towards. And so Paul starts off in this passage talking about, here's what we're doing and here's why we're doing it. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 It says this, now concerning the collection for the saints, that's the other believers for the people specifically in Jerusalem here, which we'll mention in verse three. Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So if they're coming with any question at all about, okay, we're taking up this offering, but, but why is it us? Why are we doing this? Why, why are you focusing on us as church? Paul says, listen, concerning this offering that, that we're taking up, I want you to know that it's not just your church doing this. But literally the other churches I come in contact with, including an area called Galatia, which is probably seven or 800 miles away in, an, in another direction. And he says, it's not just you, it's not just your church, but there are a bunch of churches collecting for this specific cause, for the churches in Jerusalem. And so I want you to know, it's not just you alone, but concerning the collection for the saints, I directed the churches in Galatia, I'm also directing you to do this. On the, very, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. He says, okay, you guys are in the habit of, of gathering together. You guys are, are coming together, meeting together as a church, and as you meet together, you're taking up an offering. And the first day of the week, on, on Sunday, as you gather together, as, as you meet up, take up this offering that's going to be used for this specific purpose, and everyone is to take part. One of the key over, overlying elements for this whole series has been this idea that when we work together, we can accomplish so much more. And if we try to grow separate from the church, we cap our potential and we limit our effectiveness. The idea of the church gathering together is that we can do things collectively that we couldn't do individually. Last week you talked about service. God's gift to each one of us differently and, and that as we bring those talents and resources together to be able to make a difference, we can make a bigger difference than we could do if we did it each individually. Well, the same thing happens when we do this financially. If, I, if, if we saw the need and if any one of us tried to do this individually and said, I can take care of all of this, we would fail but there's something unique about the church gathering together saying there's some things we want to get behind. And as we get behind those things, we let that, known to the, let that be known to the church, we can make a difference. We can start to make an impact here in our area and literally across the world. And so he says it's important for everyone as we gather together, as we're part of the church, that we support this idea, that we get plugged into this idea. And he says in verse 3, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And so he says, by the time I get there, I'm planning a trip, trip to Corinth. By the time I get there, I want that, that offering for Jerusalem to have been collected. And then we'll figure out who you want to send. And we're going to send that, that letter, that check, or not check, but the, the finances needed uh, to Jerusalem to take care of the specific need. The idea is that they're trying to get plugged into a cause that's bigger than themselves. This series has been about when I find something bigger than myself, I want to get plugged into it. When I find something that's way bigger than, than me amassing wealth for myself or focusing on myself, when I want to see something that's out there and I say, man, I want to be behind that. I want to be a part of a group of believers that wants to make a difference in this world. That once I buy into that idea, that I do everything I can to get plugged in in every area so that I can be a part of what God is doing. For them, a specific offering taken for the church in Jerusalem. For us, we talk about some specific offerings we take up, and we've done that over the course of the past couple of years. I tried to add this up in my head over the last couple of days, and, and I think over the last two or three years, we've built 10 homes either in uh, Honduras or in the Philippines. We've worked with uh, building a tech center in, in the DR. We've helped out purchasing a vehicle for our missionaries down the DR. And those are special offerings we took up to help out across the world, uh, let alone some things we've done here locally. We've helped out with missions, uh, helping people get food for, for resources they need. And on a, on a case-by-case basis, we have people come here on a, on a routine basis that need help. 
And sometimes we take up special offerings for those specific needs. But even our general offering, when, when we pass the bucket each week, some people might ask the question, well, when I give the offering, what does this go towards? And some of it goes towards the stuff that's not really exciting, like making sure there's lights on or making sure that we have AC in the building because even in Florida in February, it's going to get to 85 degrees today. And at some point, it gets warm and it gets hot and people want to have AC and lights and salaries. And that's not really, really exciting necessarily for most of us. But also our regular giving goes to support things like our missionaries that serving down the Dominican Republic. It goes to those who are working with FIDE and those teaching at Dulas. It goes to support Tim and Miranda working with Trash Mountain Project. It goes to, to support, we have people coming again on a regular basis to come and say, hey, I need help with this or I need to be able to do this. It helps us to be able to make a difference when we find out there's some homes right here in Janfield Village that need to be repaired. And what we do is, is from time to time, a lot of times, when the host comes up and he announces on Sunday morning, he's given all the stuff that he's talking about. One of the things he does at the very beginning, he says, we want to share a win. And when we share a win, our goal is not to pat ourselves on the back or to make ourselves look good. That's not the goal at all. In fact, we're careful. Those wins are celebrated here because that's part of our family coming together to celebrate what we're doing, to let you know when you give on a regular basis, these are the things that your offering is going towards. We're able to go to Armdale High School and feed the teachers because you're here on a consistent basis giving to be able to bless this community. When we go and find out about a need at the mission or at, at the pantry shelf, or we, we find out about those needs because of your generous giving, we're able to do that. So why do we give? We give to take care of the basic needs that we have as a church, but also to make a difference in the community around us. Second part of that question, I think a lot of people, once they get bought in, they say, well, that's cool, but I don't have a lot of space right now in my budget to be able to do this. And I can understand that. I think most of us can identify with that idea. See, I don't think there's a lot of us who right now are sitting here saying, man, I got all this money. I got all this financial freedom in my life. I'm sitting really, really well. I got all this money. I can just throw money away. I wouldn't even notice it. I don't think there are a lot of people that fit into that kind of that, that nutshell. Like, that's not a lot of us. Most of us are, are living on somewhat of a fixed income. We're trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure out. And then we come and say, okay, but how am I supposed to support the church financially when I'm barely getting by and I don't have a lot of space? Here's what I'm saying. This is going to be a little bit hard for us to get behind, I think, initially. But what I've seen in my life is it's not that God hasn't given me space financially. It's that when God does give me space financially, I tend to find a way to fill it up. Like God gives me space, and I say, man, for the first time I'm, I'm financially, I feel a little bit in a better spot. I have some space. I have some margin in my budget. And what I want to do is once I have margin and budget, I try to fill that space up because now I have all this money. I can do something with it and I start to change my finances to match up with how I'm living. And at some point what we do is we actually go past what our budget is and we're living beyond our means and then we wonder why we have no space in our budget. I think there, there's power behind that. I think, there's, there, I think it's probably where most of us found ourselves at some point in our journey. And we try to figure this thing out. We try to say, okay, maybe I've made some mistakes and I think we've all made some of those mistakes in the past. We try to refigure out our budget and try to find a way to create space. But if it's true that when, I, when God gives me a passion for something, I find the space for it, then once I fully embrace this idea that God wants us to, to be a part of what he's doing in the church, then I find a way to create space for it. A couple of weeks ago, a buddy of mine uh, had put something up on, on social media uh, encouraging people to go to the global rich list. And I knew as soon as he posted, I said, this is probably a dangerous thing for us to go to because it's going to right away be a reality check for us. Uh, but I went to the website anyway to kind of check out what this was about. And, and what it is is basically, if you go there, I think it's like globalrichlist.com. If you go there, they ask you two questions. Uh, where do you live? What country do you live in? And what's your annual salary? 
And you plug in those two things, it computes it real quickly and it tells you, here is where you rank in the richest percentage of people in the world. And so I said, I just want to put in some numbers just to see where it's at. And so I went and did some research here locally, and the average household income in the city of Winter Haven was $41,000. I think this is from a couple years ago. It was $41,000. Now, I realize that might be two incomes coming together, but the average household income was $41,000. So I said, let me use that as a starting point. So I plugged in $41,000 in the United States, and they said, if you're making $41,000 right now, that you're in the richest one-half of 1% of people in the world. Like, that's crazy because we all look at it and say, well, we don't consider ourselves rich. And, and I understand where we have that mentality because we look at people around us. And so it seems like they have more than we do. And sometimes it's not the case, but it looks that way. But if we're making $41,000 a year, we're in the richest one half of 1%. That'd mean that if we took everybody in the world and put them all in groups of 200 people, there's a very good chance you'd be the richest person in that group. If not, you'd be the second richest person. God has blessed us in a unique way to make a difference. Maybe that's not you. Maybe if it was saying there's two incomes going towards that 41,000. So if I cut that number in half and say, if you make $20,500, you are still in the richest 3% of people in the world. Like God has, has given us and blessed us in such a unique way. And ultimately he's blessed us to make a difference. I think in, in the course of history, as we look at where the United States is now, there's never been a, a people more strategically blessed to make a difference in this world the, the way that we're able to communicate and the way we're able to find out immediately about a need in the Philippines to be able to support it the next day. God's given us this blessing to be a blessing to the world around us. And even if we're sitting here saying, right now I don't have a lot of space, I understand that. Start to create space. And it might not be a whole lot of money right away, but start to create that space and say, God, if, if I believe I'm supposed to be part of this, let me figure out a way. It might only be a small amount every week, but let me figure out a way to consistently give because I want to be part of this. The third question that we face is once I get bought in, once I realize the purpose of the offering, once I realize um, it, how do I create space and what if I don't have space right now, then the last question we face is, okay, if I've bought in, if I figure that out, then how do I give? In the Old Testament, there was a very clear, this is, this is how you're supposed to give. And they call it in the Old Testament, you probably heard this if you grew up in church, they had the tithe. And the tithe was considered 10%. 10% of what God gave you, you returned back to God. And, and that's an awesome privilege, uh, principle. And I don't think that's something that just goes away because we get to New Testament era, which we're in today. And yet when we get the New Testament, we see often that Jesus says, and Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so in the Old Testament, you had the tithe, which was 10%. You had offerings, which were above and beyond 10%. That's why sometimes in church, you hear tithes and offerings. Uh, tithes was 10%. That's what was kind of expected. And offerings was above that. Jesus comes in the New Testament. He says, I didn't come to abolish that law but I came to fulfill it. And that's why sometimes you see Jesus going through these teachings and he teaches this principle when it comes to uh, hatred and murder. He says, you know it's wrong to commit murder, but I'm telling you, if you hate someone, it's just as bad. Why? Because the heart issue is the same. And he says, I tell you, you know it's wrong to commit adultery, but I tell you to look on a woman with lust, it's just as wrong. Why? Because the heart issue is what's important. So I believe when it comes to finances, the principle we're about to look at in 2 Corinthians 9 is Jesus raising the bar when it comes to the way that we give? And now I know as soon as I say that, some people are like, wait a minute, we're already talking about 10%, and now you're talking about Jesus raising the bar. What's that going to look like? Is that like 15%? Or, no, it's nothing like that. Instead, Jesus wants to, to partner with us and figure out how is it that we're giving, not just the financial amount that we give, but how is it that we give? If we're going to get bought in, it's a lot more about how we give than what we give. 2 Corinthians 9. Let's do this. We got to go through this pretty quickly. Second Corinthians 9, verse 6 says this. 
The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We read that, and, and, and it's a principle that Jesus teaches throughout the, the New Testament, throughout the Gospels. He actually talks about parables, that as you invest in something, the more that you invest, the, the bigger return you're going to get on that investment. And that just is kind of how life works. We get that that just is a generic statement. I know that that makes sense just in life. If I throw more seed in the ground, there's, more, there's greater likelihood more plants are going to grow up. The more that I sow, the more that I'm going to be able to reap. And so when, when Paul here is directing it towards finances, he says the more that you sow, the more that you're going to be blessed. And there are some people who get up on TV and they, they talk about if, if you sow uh, bountifully financially, that you're going to reap bountifully. And they're trying to teach this promise that, that if you sow, that God's going to give you a whole bunch of money. I'm not sure that that's what this is teaching at all. Now, sometimes it happens, and, and each of us could tell stories about when we started giving, how God blessed us, and that's powerful, and that does happen. But the idea here is that the more that we sow, the more that we're investing in something, the more our quality of life just goes up because we start to get plugged into ideas and things and concepts and, and helping people out that get us excited and just make us better people. When I start to invest, when I start to see a need of someone in the community and I start to meet that need, it isn't helping out my bottom line at all, financially. But where I'm at as a person is lifted up, not because I'm a better person, but because I want to do the right thing. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. Then verse 7, if there's one verse I want us to focus on this morning, this is it. Each one must give as he decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, that, that word, cheerful, is the Greek word hilarion. From which we get our word hilarious. Like God doesn't want us to give grudgingly or God doesn't want us to give of necessity. He doesn't want to show up at church and saying, okay, I know in the Old Testament, I think that's a great principle. I think tithe is a great principle. So no, I'm going to take whatever I made this week and I'm going to write a check for 10% of that. And then I'm going to drop that check in the offering bucket as it's passed by. And as I give it, I don't want to give. And in my heart, if I didn't know it was the right thing, I wouldn't do this at all. God says, that's not how I want you to give. Now, sometimes there's a process we go through. When I first started, started learning the principle of giving, we didn't have a whole lot, and, and giving each week was, it was a difficult, difficult challenge for us. And there are some weeks throughout that process that when I put that in the bucket, I was reluctant to do so. But it was a season I was going through. It was kind of God maturing me in my life, kind of figuring out how this, this whole thing worked. But at some point at the end of that, there's something about discipline, there's something about doing the right thing over and over that, that starts to prepare us for something bigger. At the end of this, Jesus isn't raising the bar saying that we need to give more, though sometimes he might convict us of that individually. He's not saying I need to change what you give, but you need to change how you give. Like when you give, it should be, I'm so in, in love with the mission and vision for your church. I'm so much behind what you're trying to do here at Ridgepoint Church, the local extension church, but more important, the church universal. I'm so much behind what, what God is doing that I can't help but support it. And when, when the offering bucket goes by and I drop my check in or I go online, I swap my credit card, whatever it is that I do, when I give, I'm not giving because I have to. I'm giving because this is now my heartbeat. God, I want to get behind this. God, I'm in love with what you're doing here in, your area, in this area and literally across the world that I want to be behind this. God doesn't want us giving reluctantly or under compulsion. He doesn't want us giving out of necessity. He wants us to be cheerful givers. And he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
Verse 9 says, As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God's taking care of us. God's taking care of our need in, in a huge way. As, as I look around, and, and I've encouraged everyone over the next couple of years, do this. Take, take one of the international trips. Go overseas and start to see what our team with Fight is working with in Dominican Republic. Go see what Afe is working with down in Honduras. And, and listen, here's the thing. As you go, you're going to be struck by a couple of things. First of all, the desperation that's there is unlike anything we see here. But just because they don't have as much doesn't mean their life is, their quality of life is, is any worse than ours necessarily. Because what I see is I see kids running around that are really happy, that are embracing life. And when I see that, I say, listen, God, I, I think you're putting these people on our heart for a reason. You've given us so much. Let us learn to appreciate what we have. And once we appreciate what we have, let me learn how I can use what I have to be generous in the way that I conduct my life. Verse 10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, another key verse says, You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God has blessed us specifically for us to learn to be generous. And the problem I found is that a lot of times for, for us, it seems like the more that we have, the more we get in this mentality where we have to keep and we have to keep and we have to keep. God has blessed us to be generous. And that doesn't have to necessarily happen within the confines of the church. Sometimes God blesses us to be generous when we see someone that's, that's, that's run out of gas and doesn't have money for gas and they're pushing their car on the road. Let me help them push their car. And if I can help get them gas, let me help get them some gas. If I see someone that's hungry, I remember some people are like, you see people who are asking for money and they're a little bit scared about giving people money, not sure what that money's going to be used for. And I understand that. And there's some reason, we have to use some reason in, in how we approach people. But I knew someone who said, I know that's an issue. And so because that, this person was so generous in their giving, they said, every day I pack a cooler full of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And if I drive by someone today that happens to need food, I give them food. That person has learned just to be generous in their life. I'm sure there's some days that go by, they pack those sandwiches, and those sandwiches sit there all day and they're not eaten. Maybe they're thrown away, and the next day they do it all over again. Why? Learning the principles of being generous. Looking for opportunities to serve. Part of that is, is being generous within the confines of the church as well. Saying, God, I believe that your mission for this church is moving forward. And there's a lot of great things that we do. And God has blessed us to be a blessing. God has uh, blessed us to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The more that I give, the more I realize I have and I'm thankful to God for the way he's blessed us. The more we learn those principles. One of my favorite communicators of, of our generation is a guy by the name of Andy Stanley. A lot of you go to groups, sometimes we use Andy Stanley studies. And Andy Stanley was recent doing, recently doing a study on, on finances. And it's this whole study on breathing room, but one of the talks is on finances. Creating breathing room in our, in, in our life for different things. And he talked about this idea that a lot of us, for a lot of us, we think our standard of living necessarily has to match up with our quality of life. And what he means by that is that as we start to have nicer things, as our standard of living increases, we think, at least it's being portrayed to us through society, through, through, through all the stuff we see on TV and all the advertisements, that as you raise your standard of living, your quality of life is going to come up. You have nicer things, you're going to enjoy those things much more. We don't always find that to be the case. And so in this talk about breathing room, he actually says sometimes the adverse reaction is what happens. And he made this statement talking about creating breathing room and finances, but I think it just as well could be applied to creating a, a generous heart in our finances. He says this, creating breathing room financially will lower your standard of living, 
but raise your quality of life. See, sometimes by us lowering our standard of living, by saying we don't necessarily need the nicest of stuff, there's nothing wrong with nice stuff. We don't necessarily need that to raise our quality of life. But as I see the need that's around me, as I start to invest in the things that I can invest in, as I start to help my, my neighbor out, as I start to, to support the mission of the church, as I support our missionaries, as I support things that we do, I might not be able to have all the stuff that I want to have. My quality of life is increasing because I know I'm doing the right thing. When my wife and I were first married, uh, we lived outside a housing project at a Christian community center, and we made like next to no money at all. Uh, and I was a relatively new believer. I'd only given my life to Christ a couple of years ago, and I heard people talk about giving, and I said, I, I understand I should be giving, but I don't know how I would give. I mean, we, we made so much money, I'm pretty sure if I did start tithing, the church would never have even known it. Like, like it was literally, we were, we were not making any money at all. And so for the first couple of years of our life, I, I, I tried to justify that. I said, well, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have any space at all. We're not making a whole lot. So I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to start serving. And I served, and for us, it was a long trip. Uh, I spent a lot of gas going to church. And, and I started to justify it, saying, well, God, I'm, I'm giving my service. I'm, I'm giving my, my gas getting there. Doesn't that count for something? And, and there's, there's a place for that. But a couple of years in my marriage, I realized part of my maturity was I had to start to learn this principle of, of giving. That God had blessed us to be generous. And, and it wasn't like I jumped into this thing right away and said, I'm, I'm going to go from, from not giving on a regular basis. We'd give when we could, but it wasn't a consistent thing. I didn't jump from being a, not really a giver at all to, to being a, a regular giver, a consistent giver at a high percentage at all. It's a process I was going through saying, God, I know I'm supposed to start giving, and I can't give a whole lot right now, but I'm going to start giving a little bit every week. Working up to the point of saying, God, I, I want to be able to give more. And I understand for each one of us, as, as we go through financial decisions, there are a whole lot of things that are competing for our dollar every day. And so I don't want when we talk about finances, it doesn't have to be awkward. I know sometimes we can bristle and get all nervous like we're talking about finances again. And I understand why that is. Here's the thing, God has a mission for his church. We're able to do stuff on a regular basis. Like I consider our staff to be so blessed. We're able to do things on a consistent basis. I think it's tomorrow we're back at the high school being, help, being, help, being able to help out the teachers and, and, and we're helping out in, the, in a couple of months working here in the community with the day of service and we're gonna invite the whole community back here and we get the chance to do a lot of things on a regular basis. But there's so much more we could be doing. Just looking for chances to serve, looking for chances to give. And sometimes that comes with a financial price tag. Sometimes it just means we have to serve. But when we get bought into the mission and vision for the church, when we gather together, there's something powerful about the church gathering together for his purpose. We want to make a difference. And, and all of being bought in is about us getting together, us creating space in our life to be consistent in attendance, being consistent in groups, being consistent in service, and being consistent in giving that we can collectively do a whole lot more than we could do the sum of our parts individually. So the challenge is there. If you have any questions about that, please feel free to come and talk to me after the service. We'd love to have those discussions. I know there's a lot of information. If you missed some of that, I'd love to talk to you about some of those things. But the main thing as we get ready to wrap up the series, as we're bought in it, saying, God, I, I agree with the mission and vision for your church. I believe with what, you, what, what you're trying to accomplish and you're using the church as a vessel. Listen, we're messed up, we're broken, we all make mistakes, but somehow God still uses the church, us collectively, to make a difference. Once I buy into the mission and vision for the church, I say, God, how, how can I sign up? How can I be a part of this? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace that you show in our life. Uh, God, we don't deserve that at all, and yet you show that to us freely on a daily basis. 
And God, as, as we gather together, I know we've talked through a lot these last few weeks. We've talked about what it really means to be bought into your mission for your church. Uh, God, this one probably is the most sensitive one as finances tend to bring that sensitivity to us. And, and yet, God, it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus talked about finances in a very free way, in a very liberating way. So God, I pray that we carefully handled your word today as we looked at what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And we tried to say, here's your teaching on this topic. Uh, Help us be better contributors in the way that we respond, whether it's financially, whether it's just the way that we want to serve and give you our best. God, let us be consistent in serving you with everything that we have. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been a part of Richpoint Church for the last several weeks, we've been talking about this for for quite some time, for the last three weeks, really. Uh, Church Partnership, a new initiative we're launching today. I've asked you to pray about this for the last several weeks. But basically, this is what we have. At at Richpoint, we don't have membership. Sometimes membership denotes privilege and and lead to some business meetings, get really ugly. And and so we've never had that sort of way for people to connect to the church. We don't have membership. But we've been looking for a way for people to identify with the church. And so our staff did a study. We've taught this through for a couple of months. We came up with this idea of church partnership. Church partnership is agreeing. I want to be a part of Ridgepoint Church in those four strategic areas in terms of attendance, going to group, uh, serving in some area, and, and supporting the church financially. And, and so today we're launching that initiative. If you want to be part of this, again, no privilege comes with it. You don't get any special voting privileges or anything like that. We don't give you a seat with your name engraved on the back. None of that stuff at all. It just is saying that I want to partner with Ridgepoint Church in these areas. I want to lock arm with Ridgepoint Church as we try to make a difference in our community and literally across the world. And so uh, you should have had one of these in front of you, the partnership card. On the front of the card, you fill out all your information. On the back is just signing, saying, I'm agreeing. This is a yearly commitment. You can do this individually. If you want to sign, husband and wife want to sign together, you can do that. Make sure we're trying to figure out who is saying right now, I just want to partner with the church. No privileges, anything like that. And if you don't do it, that's entirely fine. If you want to take this card home, pray about it for, for the next week. We're doing this again next week. But it just is saying we want to find a, a strategic way for us to, to agree to lock arms together and make a difference in the world around us. So if you want to do that, the band's going to play one more song. We're going to worship. If you want to do that during the song, if you want to do that, i got one more thing as we wrap up and turn it in at the back to the guest services team. We'd love for you to partner with us in that way.